Uh, when we read the stories of uh, Jesus, we are used to some, and we've talked about some unorthodox teaching methods, right? Jesus is not your typical teacher. Uh, I've had some unorthodox teaching styles in my life. I once failed U.S. history um, because of a teacher. Um, I know it wasn't my fault. It was my teacher's fault. And uh, I know this because I got a really good grade when I took it again. Uh, and the only difference was the teacher. He, we came in and, and class was this. This is how class went. He had the, you remember, I think we still have one in here, the, the old, uh, old overhead projector thing with the light and the, and the, and the transparencies. And, and he would lay his notes for the day down. And this was what class was for, for like 40 minutes. He had the transparency and he kept one piece of, a blank piece of paper over so that we could only see one line. We had to copy this thing down verbatim. He was, uh, he was uh, the track coach who was also be a, a, you know, a basketball coach. So he wasn't really a, a great teacher. And, and, and class was, I had to copy, or we had to copy every line. And, and he would move it down one line. And sometimes he moved it down too far and you could get ahead and you could do two. And, and that was, so, so it was a very unorthodox teaching method, but it wasn't a good one. All right? Not all unorthodox teaching methods are good ones. He had a, a bad one. But Jesus has these unorthodox teaching methods and really gets his point across. He's really um, a, a great teacher. Uh, he, um, we notice in, in his unorthodox teaching methods, he never answers questions, for example. Jesus never answered questions. Whenever he was asked the question, he would change the question and then answer the question that he wanted to. He's like, this is what I really want to talk about. And, uh, so, so the, and the other thing that Jesus would do when he taught is whenever he was asked a question about a hypothetical or whatever, whatever he would always turn it back on the person asking the question. Like, what is this, how does this, you know, what does this mean that you should do? How does this affect your life? And that was his unorthodox teaching method. And the other thing he always did was, he, he, when he'd tell a story or whatever, and we're going to talk a little bit about this a, a little bit more as we get into this, he would get your emotions kind of going. You ever play tug-of-war? And this is fun to do with little kids. Uh, you, you're playing tug-of-war with them, and then the, you let the rope go. Uh, the little, it, it's okay with little kids because they're well padded and they're, sh they're close to the floor. You know, you want to do this with big people. Um, but... Uh, uh, you know, and, and Jesus would do that. He'd get your, all your, uh, your momentum going one way, and you think, and then, boom, he'd let the rope go, and, and all of a sudden you see people completely wiped out by his answer, or, or by the end of the story. And he gets the story going one way, and you, you, you're just, you see him, you can see the people getting all ramped up to go one way, and then, he, boom, he switches it on them. Like, I didn't see that coming. And that's, that's what we're talking about today as we, we continue these lessons about who Jesus is and uh, the, the titles of Christ and, and what they mean. And this month in particular, we're talking about the titles of, of Christ, the roles that he had that necessarily imply a reciprocal relationship. Uh, so in, in Revelation chapter 19, uh, verse 6 through 8, he says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. 
And so the picture of the wedding. We love the picture of the wedding. It's almost June. If we get nice weather, uh, we'll see a lot of weddings. Maybe we won't see weddings this June. I don't know. Maybe we'll see a blizzard. Uh, but uh, we love the summer weddings and all the pictures and all the things that go with it. Right? And we look at this and here's finishing out the book of Revelation and this is the picture of, of Christ and His bride and well that necessarily implies that Christ is the groom. And that's what we're talking about. Christ as a bridegroom and He's talked that way, referred to that way. And so the picture of Christ as the husband, what does this mean? Uh, I don't know what that's in there for. So, the relationship of us to the groom. We want to talk about... Now, there are several relationships that a groom has. You're like, wait a minute, that sounds kind of, that sounds kind of shaky. What do you mean, relationships of the groom? He's supposed to be married. Yes, but there are several relationships. Um, let's... I'm going to get to that in just a second. And when we were in Ukraine... We had a guy that would come to church. His name was Max. <laughs> we had a bunch of Maxes. Max was an interesting fellow. Max would come with his newspaper um, and go into the bathroom, and he'd spend like half of the, the, like the lesson or whatever. He'd be in there. It was strange. But you knew when Max would be there uh, because if we had a fellowship dinner, Max would show up. Never a fellowship dinner went by that Max did he wasn't there every week but if we had a fellowship dinner it was like he smelled it somewhere and we, we, we found out that I don't know how, how we found out he would make the rounds around town to any of the churches that were having fellowship dinners and it's kind of you know we must have been in the rotation and Max would show up come and, and, and he was there for so, so the first relationship we find actually this is not a new thing this is not a new thing. Matthew chapter 22. He said to his servants, and this is right, right in the middle of this parable that he sent uh, about a wedding feast. Uh, so this, this father is giving a wedding feast. And he says, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Therefore, go to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding was filled with guests. When the king came back and looked at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding clothes. And he said to a friend, how did you get here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Say, I didn't know I was supposed to wear nice clothes to a wedding. I don't know what kind of weddings they had back then. So the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you're like, that kind of escalated rather quickly. For many are called, but few are chosen. But this is the free food guy. That's the first one, free food guy. This guy came up and was like, not interested in the wedding. Not even making a pretense of caring about the ceremony or honoring the bride and groom or anything like that. Just, listen, you sent me an invitation. It's your fault. You didn't say anything about wedding clothes on the invitation. You just said, come to the wedding. I'm here. I'm eating. This is a great buffet, by the way. Right, so free food guy is the first relationship that a groom has. Then we get a little closer. Let's get a little closer uh, to, to the groom. Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 6, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins 
uh, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five wise. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And the bridegroom was delayed. And they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And we know the rest of this story. So we kind of need to know, this is kind of a weird story because we don't understand how Jewish weddings worked. So we need to look a little bit at Jewish weddings. Uh, by the way, this would be a reference to the wedding party right, of some sort. So, um, in, in fact, we, a lot behind, we, we read the story of Jesus and, and uh, like, wait a minute, they were betrothed to be married. That's kind of like being engaged, right? And so they weren't married yet, and they, but yet Joseph would have had to give her divorce papers. Like, how does that work? They're, they were engaged. Why didn't you just tell them, the, you know, just uh, see you later, Mary? Okay, so we have to understand a little bit, things were different. So, uh, a man, when he was getting ready to marry a woman, back then would give the engagement or betrothal process was actually a formal document. You signed a formal document when we were technically married. Um, but you hadn't had the wedding ceremony. So what the, the husband would typically do, depending on his age, uh, uh, if he was younger, he would, he would go off somewhere, find property, he would save up for a year, he'd work, save up for a year, get money so that when he came back, uh, wherever he had found property or whatever, and, uh, he would take his bride and they didn't work for a while. He didn't work, they kind of had a, uh, a honeymoon was a, a longer process, some up to a year depending uh, on I guess how much money he'd saved up. Uh, so, so he would be off doing something, whatever he was doing and, and getting the house ready and getting everything ready. And it wasn't exactly known when he was going to come back, approximately a year. So he would come back, and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, some of you might have gotten through Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, their weddings were at night, right? They had, their wedding ceremony was at night. So, so the groom comes back into town, and uh, not exactly known when, you know, around the time, because they don't have the ability to FaceTime each other and say, hey, I'm on my way back, and I'll be right there. And, and so he's, he comes through town, everybody knows everybody, and they would be kind of waiting, it was like approximately this day or whatever, uh, and it'll probably be in the evening by the time he gets back from wherever he's traveling from, and he would make his way through town, and people, this procession would get bigger and bigger and bigger all the way to the father's house uh, where the wedding ceremony would take place. And that's what, what's going on in here. So you kind of had to be ready. You had to be prepared. You didn't know how long things were going to take. Uh, and so here we see some people, and this is the story of being prepared or not being prepared. These are closer. These are closer people. These are friends. These are relatives, maybe, that have pictured here. But the wedding party, the closer, closer people. And of course we see the very, very, very important relationship, the purpose of the whole thing. Matthew chapter 25. Um, how did this happen? Here we go. Is the bride. John chapter 3, verse 29 and 30 says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. And therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. And this is John the Baptist talking. Uh, when people were saying, you know, they were all uh, upset about how popular Jesus was be becoming. Right? And, and he's trying to explain, listen, I'm going to become less important. I'm just the best man. I'm just the best man at the wedding. Right? Someone, a, a buddy of mine said, uh, 
He's not the best man. He, he called his best man the good guy. He's a good guy. I'm the best man because I'm getting married. So, it's uh, a good point. But, but what we call the best man, John the Baptist said, that's me. I'm over here and I'm happy for him. But he's the one getting married. He's the best man, really. He's getting the bride. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. That's the purpose of the entire event, the entire day. It's not about the photos. It's not about, uh, it's not about the cake, thank goodness. It's not about all the other things that go around it. We love those. But the picture, is, everything around it is about the relationship. And this is something that annoys me. Uh, and you watch, you listen to commercials, you listen to shows, whatever. Primarily it's in commercials, you hear it. And, and, I, and maybe it's on sports shows, I, I hear it the most. But, uh, you know, build a man cave and escape from your wife. Right? Or, or something to that effect. You know, uh, something to the effect of, here is this awful situation I find myself in, and I've, I've got to find some way to get away from the wife. Wait a minute. That's what this is for. This is what you signed up for. It's about the relationship. I was listening. Um, it was a sports program I was listening to. And um, they were talking about, uh, it was in March. And uh, apparently it was somewhere in Tennessee. Uh, they, there was some pageant, some, some beauty pageant. And these, all these models were going there. And they couldn't believe that their husbands wanted to go. You know, like our husbands usually aren't a part of this, and so so they get off in I think they were it was uh, it wasn't Nashville it was one of the other ones in Tennessee Louisville I think or no that's Kentucky I think it was in, in Kentucky so um, so they get off in, in Louisville or whatever and uh, and the air, the airport was packed and uh, and they couldn't believe it was it was like what's going on and they they get to the hotel and their husbands. Completely ditched them. It turned out that that weekend was this bracket, right? And so, so, so the, the town was hosting the March Madness for that week. So the husbands were like, "Yeah, sure, I'll go." And then, and they've gone. And it, so they they really didn't want to be any any part of the the thing. So, so it got worse as the the ladies uh, got in a, got in a, a tizzy about that. So they said, "Well, what we're going to do is we'll, we'll teach them." This fall, when they want to watch football, we won't watch it with them. And all the guys, the guys were like double bonus. Right? So uh, it didn't quite turn out the way they thought. And this is the reaction that, that a lot of people have. It's like, wait a minute. The purpose of this, the purpose of this is to be married. That's what this whole thing is for. That's what the ceremony is for. That's why you went in debt, most likely. You bought big rings and we did all this for why? So that you could try to escape from it? That makes no sense. That's a very bad investment. The purpose of being married is to not be alone. That's the purpose of the whole thing. I'm, um, I've got... Uh, 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 and I've noticed this through my life is that I have a, a way I operate and uh, it was in college it was always the same and then, and then now I, I, I go to bed based on a series of events that happen 
And that event is basically everyone else goes to bed, then I set the timer. It's like an internal clock, and then a half hour later or whatever, I go to bed. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just I like the quiet for a little while, and then whatever. So Katie goes to bed, she reads, and then I, I, I mean, you definitely have to wait for the kids to go to bed because it's too much noise. And uh, It was like that in, in, in college. But there was this period of life where I had my own apartment, and I had no start to the stopwatch. There was nothing. I was just, I was like sitting there reading my paper, and I'm like, I didn't know when to go to bed, because there was no, there was no event that occurred that had to to set off the timer for me to go to bed. So I'm like, when do I go to bed? I don't know. There's no one to tell me when to go to bed. It was the worst, like, was, like five or six years between college and and getting married. I had no idea what to do. Right? It's like so now I, I know what to do again. Right? That period of loneliness was awful. The marriage is to have a relationship. That's what it's for. It is not to be alone. It's to escape being alone. If you are here this morning, you have one of those three relationships. You're somewhere in here. You're either the free food guy, you're either the wedding party, or you're a part of the bride. I don't know where you're at. Let's look at these. We want to know the bridegroom. Not know about him. Not know some of the things to expect. But to know the bridegroom. Are you here for the goodies? What does that mean? Am I here for the goodies? Christians are often guilty of selling the gospel or selling even part of the gospel. And what I mean by that is... When we talk about this with other people, if we talk about it, what do we talk about? How do we approach? Here's this guy. Comes to the kingdom. Sends out the invitation. And he comes here. Says, hey, listen. You didn't tell me that I had to wear wedding clothes. You didn't tell me that there were expectations. I just came for the free food. That was all that was in the invitation. And sometimes this is the way that we go and invite people, is we invite people for the free food. And when they show up and there are expectations, they're like, whoa, you didn't tell me there were expectations. I came for the free food. I came for the grace. You didn't say anything about the responsibility. You told me about the grace. I'm here for the grace. Grace is nice. But that a grace gospel is not the gospel the only part of the gospel that Jesus taught. Jesus taught quite quite a lot about responsibility, about ethics, about expectations. Don't sell half a gospel. In fact, we shouldn't have to sell the gospel at all. Getting ready for VBS, right? We're handing out the tracks, getting those printed up, talking about... What do we talk about? What do you lead with? Do you lead with games? Come to our VBS, we've got games. Snacks, we've got snacks. We've got fun. We've got stories. We've got, and we lead with the fun. We lead with the goodies. Figuratively or literally, we lead with the goodies. Here we go. We have got learning about God. 
What do we lead with when we're selling the gospel? Will Christ look at things and go, I don't know about the people who invited you. They weren't really on their game. They were not selling you what I was inviting you to. This was a wedding party you were invited to, right? You, you remember this was about honoring the groom. This was not about the goodies. Or maybe I'm a little closer than that. Let me assume we're closer than that. Maybe I'm here for the friendship. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 through 17 says, The disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, a worse tear is made, and neither the new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. And Jesus is teaching multiple lessons here. Now he is referring to several events. He's referring to the same event that John the Baptist was talking to. John the Baptist is about to be killed. And he's saying, and, and, and he's combining that with another concept, which, which had to do with the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's like, things are getting ready to change. And he's kind of combining these topics. And, and John's disciples were very big on the customs of the Old Testament. They wanted to go back and be very traditional. That was very important to them. And he's like, the traditions and the customs are about to change. But you want to talk about fasting? We fast when we mourn. John's disciples, he's like, uh, I let them fast because they're getting ready to have their guy taken away from them. He's about to be killed within a very short period of time. He's like, you don't, you don't fast while you're at the wedding. That's not what this is for. So my disciples don't, fa- don't fast yet. The time will come when they will fast too. There's going to be a time where they will be sad as well. But for right now, we're not going to force this Old Testament system on New Testament people. We're not, we're not going to force people to, to live by the customs and everything of the Old Testament. And that's getting ready to change. As we saw, people are hesitant to give up the previous relationship. Right? I, I kind of liked being alone. There were a lot of elements of being alone I liked, and now I'm married, and now I want to go back to that. Well, no, it doesn't want to work like that. You signed up for this now. You're a part of this. Friends, all of a sudden, when uh, one of the buddies gets married and is off, and, hey, you never hang out with us anymore. Yeah, I'm kind of married. Life moves us into new situations. And some people are only willing to get close to Christ in a friend way. Because they're afraid of moving into a close relationship that will separate them from the old friendships. 
I don't know if I want to cut that off. So, so I'm going to kind of move between. I'm, I'll be a part of the wedding party, and we'll be kind of friends and, and that, but I don't know if I'm willing to get so close. So I'll be here for the friendship. Or here for the covenant. Because that's what a marriage is, right? Are you here for the covenant? And now we turn to the verse. The verse. Ephesians 5.32. Actually, I'm going to read a larger section of this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And this is the, the verse that I was trying to talk about in my introduction. It's one of the verses that, where, where the Bible gets, going, gets you going one way and then yanks you the other way. I'm going to do that uh, this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, beginning. <clears throat> he says, Wives, should probably hide behind something here. Not a lot. I've got this nipple. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but that she should be holy and without a blemish. So the husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own body, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and his bones, and for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And we all know that this is a hated verse. I like to read this verse. Because preachers are constantly pulling this out to talk about how wives are supposed to act in the marriage. Very handy. And some preachers will try to balance it out by telling the husbands how they're supposed to act in the marriage. Like, we've got to be 50-50 here, so we're going to tell you, give you your advice. And I am not going to do either one this morning. Why am I not going to do that this morning? Because this is a text that we have backwards. We have it completely backwards. I'm not saying this isn't good advice. We want to pay attention to the one verse in this text which never ever gets focused on, and that is verse 32. He says, this is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ in the church. What does that mean? Well, when you tell an allegory, you have an allegory, and then that's going to be, you're going to use that to illustrate something. And so the mystery is the thing that you're going to use it to talk about. That's your main subject. This is what I want to talk about. That's the mystery. That's, the, that's what the symbol represents. And we think that Ephesians 5 is there so we can talk about marriage. And it's not. It's good advice. I'm not saying it's not good advice. But Paul throws this in and he says the mystery is about Christ. The main topic here is not marriage. 
He's using marriage as a symbol to talk about Christ and the church. This is about Christ and the church. We are primarily used, or, or it was intended to be primarily used to teach lessons about our relationship to Christ, not husbands and wives, what you're supposed to do to it. That's a part of it. When we say that the mystery, there's an allegory, the allegory is supposed to be understood. In other words, Paul expected that the advice about marriage was understood. And so that, therefore, he could teach an allegory about the church and Christ, because that's kind of mysterious. Completely backwards. We always turn to this to say, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit. And that's what this is for. That's not what it's for. It's to say, people, submit because you are a bride. You submit to Christ. That's the purpose of this passage. Notice that the bride is a group. That's kind of weird. That's important. Why is that important? Well, we're all apart. We go back to that, that passage talking about the bride being adorned. And that's where I want to finish out here. Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of God, uh, coming from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We think this is talking about heaven. It's not. It is talking about the bride. We are the city. A building or whatever the physical structure that that's going to be is not the bride. We already said, we already read in Revelation just two chapters earlier, he said the bride is the church. That's who the bride is. And what we have the great, we return all the way where we were at the very beginning. Beautiful wedding. And everything we think about the beautiful wedding, and it takes hours and hours and hours and hours and hours to get a bride ready for half an hour in the spotlight. I mean, just how many hours on the hair alone? The dress, everything. And this is the picture. He says, the bride being adorned. I was going to illustrate today by trying to get into my wedding suit. But um, that would have looked like something from Saturday Night Fever. So we didn't. Some of you are like, what? But it would have missed the point. Because as much as I think my wedding suit was pretty cool, it wasn't about me. It was about the bride. I'm going to say something that's going to... I don't know about this. The wedding day is about the church. So I thought it was about Christ. I thought it was all about meeting Christ and worshiping Christ and every knee is going to bow and we're all going to confess Christ. I'm like, 
That's what eternity is for. Eternity is for us to worship Christ. But this day, this one day is about the awe and the beauty of the bride. That day is about Christ getting His bride. And the joy that He will have. We always think of it from our perspective of what we're going to get, what we're going to see, and how great it's going to be for us. And we don't think how great it's going to be for Christ to get His bride. And to see all the time and effort and the waiting, the waiting and the waiting and the adornment of the bride. What is the adornment of the bride? 1 Peter 3, 1-4. It's about wives and adornment. Likewise, wives, be subject to your... We're going to skip past that, okay? Trust me. So even if the, some of you do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respect and your pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And I know this is talking about the women, but this is talking about brides. This is talking about, when, when we look at the picture, Christ uses the picture of a bride because, let's face it, when someone's late somewhere because someone was getting ready, it's because of why. It's not because the guys are taking forever getting ready. Right? There's a gender that we assign to that. Because there's one that, like, okay, I can roll out of bed and go to work. I'm like, yeah. It's because brides, women are about one of the very important how they present themselves. And God recognizes that. And He says, okay, let's use that as an illustration. And He says, the church needs to adorn itself. It needs to be concerned about its appearance. Not the gold, not the this, not the that. But the adornment that God, whether it's wives or men, or it doesn't make a difference. This is why we said that the bride is a group. It's not just women. It's not just men. It's not... It's a group of people collectively adorning ourselves with a gentle spirit, with the, the incorruptible, hidden person, the invisible person we are on the inside that God goes, wow, that's what I've been waiting for. So as we close... Just one thought. Does Christ have me? Go back to that one verse we read. The one who has the bridegroom is the bride. Does Christ have me? Or am I here for free food? Am I here for friendship? Those relationships might bring me to where I should be. But the one who has the bridegroom is, or the one who has the bride is the bride. The one who has the bridegroom is not the bride. That's, that's backwards. We think of, well, I have Christ. No. Christ has a bride. 
Does Christ have me? Am I in that group? Christ has a bride. Am I a part of that bride? Have I been washed with the water? Because that's what he said. He says, you want to be a part of the bride? You have to be washed with the water and the word. There is an opportunity if you are here for free food. If you've been here for the goodies and you've been here for for the friendship and you've been here for the fun and you've been here for whatever things you've been here for. Get one step closer. Come here for the covenant. Come here for the permanency of a relationship with Christ. And make that final step to be Christ's bride.